Thanks for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. My name is Brad, and I'm the lead campus pastor and primary preaching voice here at Cornerstone Church Airdrie. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking to his kids today. So if it's me who's speaking to you or someone else on this recording, as you listen, we pray that you would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power. Enjoy the message. Bloodline from the heavens still slept in the penitentiary. Do you know who I feel really sorry for? Um, somebody who got a really, really raw deal. Someone who we have not been fair to or, or treated in a way that they have deserved. And I think it's probably true of, of Christian believers everywhere. Um, that person is Jesus' disciple Judas. And the reason why I say that is because when I say Jesus' disciple Judas, your mind immediately goes to Judas Iscariot. That, that that's who you're thinking. That, oh, Jesus, you think he got a raw deal? Do, do you know what he did? But did you know that Jesus had two disciples named Judas? There was Judas Iscariot, and then there was another Judas. That when you read through the list of his disciples, there was two. And it's the other Judas that I'm talking about. He, he got a raw deal. Judas, not that Judas, at a point starts going by a different name, goes by a couple other names. In, in, in the book of Mark, his name go, his, he's called Thaddeus, but, but that wasn't his name. And in Matthew, his name is Le- Lebius, but his name was Judas. Now, what I can imagine happening here is, is some point after everything that's transpired with the disciples and, and, and with Jesus dying and, and what happened with Judas, what I can imagine happening here is all of the disciples sitting around a campfire and, and Judas, the, the, the other Judas, saying to the disciples, guys, listen, if you ever record all of this, don't call me Judas. Call me something else. I, I, don't, I don't want people thinking I'm him. So, so if you ever write this down, if you ever write all of this stuff down, don't call me Judas. Call me by my middle name. Call, call me by my nickname. Call me by something. I, I don't want to be confused with, with that guy. Now, Judas, the other Judas, not, the, not Judas Iscariot, the other Judas, he had a brother, and his brother was also a disciple. Now, you may have heard of him. His name was James. But no, not the James that's the well-known James. Not James, John's brother, the sons of thunder that are called in, 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 in the, the, the Gospels. Not that James. There, there was another James. There was two Jameses who were also Jesus' disciples. And, and Judas' brother James, while, while both, bro- or both disciples were the less famous and less recognized of their brothers, when I was looking at, at sort of like the, the traditional way that they're referred to, when, when it talks about the brother Judas, it doesn't even use his actual name. And when it talks about the brother James, he's referred to as James the Lesser. 
as opposed to the other James, who's referred to as James the Greater. So how's that for a family legacy? One brother is known as James the Lesser, and the other brother is Judas, but not, no, 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 not that Judas, a different Judas. That this is the, the family, this is what they carry with them, is this is the story of this family. One brother had to change his name, and the other brother is known as the lesser of the two. Sometimes other people can create such a problem inside of our lives, even in simple things as when it comes to our name. Even in, in little things like that, even just simply there, either just simply other people's existence and suddenly I've got to change my name. Suddenly my nickname is that I'm not as good as this other guy. Even if they didn't do anything or even if they did, sometimes other people are just problems in life. Other people can have such a profound impact on our life for good and for bad. But Jesus will talk about what it means for us to be in relationship with other people and how we as believers are meant to handle other people in Matthew chapter 22. Some context for you for Matthew chapter 22. In an effort to discredit and turn public opinion on Jesus, the religious leaders asked Jesus a question designed to trick him and cause perception of him to sway. They've tried a few other things. They've tried a few different questions along the way, ways to sort of try and trick Jesus. They've asked him these, these crazy hypothetical questions, these, these like theological questions, and, and they tried to come up with another thing, other, other ways to trick him, but nothing was working. And so in Matthew chapter 22, starting at verse 36, it will tell us that this teacher in the law, this, this expert in the law, will come to Jesus and will say, actually, I forgot the clicker. It's right by your elbow there. Ah, smooth. Oh, and Carmen's already on it. Where you go. Teacher. The, the, so this man will come to Jesus and say, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Ultimately, just hoping that Jesus will answer the question. Because then that gives them ammunition. If Jesus answers that question, then they have the ability to say that Jesus said the other commandments don't matter. That whatever commandment he says, they're able to say, well, so when you say that, what you really mean is that these commandments don't, don't matter. At, be, the, 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 at worst, it's to get people riled up at whatever he doesn't choose. At best, to maybe have an opportunity to, to, to proclaim him a heretic. That, that he, he has somehow done this in a way that's caused problems. The answer to his question, whatever he answers, they've got ammunition. But Jesus gives them neither. He says in verse 37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are quotations from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and Leviticus 19, verse 18. And then Jesus gives a short explanation as to why these two things matter so much. Why he said them in verse 40, he says, All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So Jesus says to the Pharisees, all and all of those listening, through that when it comes to what's most important, what are the most important things? Jesus says there's two. Love God and love people. 
And, and what I love about these kinds of moments in scripture is because something really profound takes place where, where we have the, the word of God himself speaking and telling us, telling the people who are listening and by extension us as we read these words, what is the most profound thing on God's heart? That this isn't someone speaking for God. This is God himself speaking and saying, as God, I'm telling you that this is what is the most profound thing on my heart. The most important thing that you as my followers can be up to is to love God and to love people. First, love God with everything you are, your heart, your soul, and your mind. And second, love your neighbor as yourself. But in the middle of this statement that Jesus makes, he makes an interesting comment about the second commandment when he says that the second is like it. As, as, as believers in God, as, 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 as sons and daughters of God, as, as followers of God, we place a high importance on loving God. That, 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 that becomes, when, when, when we gather together, we, we sing about our love for God and we speak about our love for God and, and that becomes the, the central focus. But to love people, to God, that's just like loving God. That God himself said, the second commandment that I'm going to share with you, it's just like the first that it's not somehow here is the first one and if you want to know at a very distant second place, you should also probably love people. He says the most important thing is to love God, but right next to that, right beside that, essentially just as important as the first one is to also love people. To love other people is just as crucial as be, to being a Christian as it is to love God. Jesus will, in fact, tell his disciples that the defining characteristic of his disciples, the thing that the world would be, or the world would see as the defining characteristic of those who claim to follow him, the most important thing that they would do, the thing that the world will know you're my followers by, is love. When Jesus will say this, he will say, by this everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another, from John chapter 13. The love that we have for one another, that's, that's what will cause people to look and go, I want to be a part of that. That's what will cause people to look and go, oh, they're one of them. They're one of those. They're, they're one of those Jesus people. I, I want to be one. The way that they love each other, it's different. It's unique. It's special. It's not the way that I love my friends. It's not the way that I love the people in my life. It's not the way that I love my coworkers. It's not the way that I love other people around me. There's something different about the way that they love. But it's not just about love. Jesus will say that it's about the love that we have for one another as believers. That it's not just that we love. We're called to love. But Jesus will say the defining characteristic of my people will be the love that my people have for my people. So today as we talk about the second greatest commandment, as we talk about loving our neighbor, I want to talk to you about how we love our neighbors in the family of God. And that's why it's so important that, that we're together as, as we're, we're separate churches that meet 
100 meters apart. <laughs> it's, it's a pretty straight line from here to the third one over there, I think. You know, it's, it's not a long distance, but we come together as the family of God because while there may be enough differences that keep our churches needing to not be one church, above all of that is our love for one another. That, that we love the triumphant tabernacle apostolic church and they love Cornerstone Church and, and we love each other because we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. And, and we love each other. That, that this is what's supposed to be our defining characteristic. That we can come together as brothers and sisters in the Lord, even though we don't know each other, even though we may do things differently, even, me, even though as, as we're singing, that's different. Or as I'm preaching, you may say, well, that's different. But over top of all of that, we love each other. And we say, good, that was wonderful. That's great because we love each other. So what does it mean for us to love our neighbor as ourselves in the context of the body of Christ? What is this love between us that should be our calling card look like? Well, the phrase one another shows up 14 or 15 times, depending on how you want to look at the translation of it in the New Testament. And as I looked over these passages, a question arose in my mind. How do we know if we're really doing this loving one another the, the way that we should be? And as we look through these references, I pulled a couple out that I think highlight for us sort of some of the principles of what it means that we love one another. As we look at, one at these references, we get a picture of what it means to love our neighbors in this context. The first verse I want to look at is 1 Thessalonians 5.11. And it says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. One of the things that, that is fairly universal for people and sometimes really universal for people inside a church setting, finding fault is easy. That, that it can be really easy to sit back and look at what's happening and say, that's wrong. They, they shouldn't have done that. That should have been done differently. If, if they would have asked me to do it, I would have done that, that differently. And in, in fact, for me as an individual, this, this is, is how... My, my lens works. This is my default. That, that I'm always sort of looking and going, what could we do better? What could we do different? What could we change up? I hope that it's not judgmental. I, I hope that it's not somehow in, in a rude way. I, I hope that it, it's to make things the best that they can be. But we, we can have a tendency as people to sit back and look and judge what other people are doing and, and see the flaws, see the, the flaws, see the faults, see, see the things that are wrong. But in, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, we're called to encourage one another. And, and the moments that we need to encourage each other the most are when things aren't great are when we can look and we can look at what somebody did and say, man, they screwed that up. That's probably when they need the most encouragement. That, that's probably when they need their brother or sister to come alongside and put their arm around them and say, you know, we love you. Good job. So I want to ask you today, who, who can you encourage today? Who can you find this morning and, and build them up? Who can you encourage for all of their hard work? Who can you encourage for all of their faithfulness? How can we build each other up today? How can we make sure that at least one person who came to church today leaves feeling better about themselves and their place in this family today? 
Each one of us can take on that responsibility. In fact, not only can you, but you should take on that responsibility to be able to look around and and see someone and say, I want to encourage them. I want to say good job. I want to say thank you for being here. I want to say thank you for all your hard work. I want to say thank you for just simply existing. Whatever it may be, Paul says that we need to encourage one another. And so I want to encourage you to find a way to encourage today. Hebrews, the next verse, 1024, says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We're called to push and to prod one another. To love more and to do more. We're called to make each other better. Better people, better co-workers, better brothers and sisters in Christ, better Christians. The Bible will say, I'm not sure if I put this up. Nope. The Bible will say in Proverbs chapter 27 that iron sharpens iron. That, that one of the things that we're called to do as believers is to help sharpen each other, is to help make each other better, is to, to, to make each other look serving God better together. But, and this is a big but, because sometimes we, we can, can sometimes take, take a verse like this or, or that, and we can sometimes forget this, that, that we cannot lose, or, or the, the making each other better cannot come at the expense of the theme for this morning. That, that sometimes we can forget that when we provoke each other to love and to good works, that, that it, when we need to sharpen one another, when we need to, to push on one another, when, when we need to challenge one another, sometimes we forget that our heart and our motivation has to be love. And, and, ha- and, and our, our sharpening and, and our, our challenging and our pushing one another, it doesn't just have to be motivated by love, but it has to be delivered in a way that it can be received in love. That, that it's not just that I can go and I can say to Carol whatever I want because, well, I love Carol. So I'm going to just go tell her whatever I think. Well, no, I need, if I'm really doing this out of love, I have to be able to communicate these things in a way where she feels loved at the end of our conversation. I, I love my wife more than anything. And, not but, and... If I was to come to my wife and say to her, Yvonne, we need to talk about some things that are going on in our marriage because you're bugging me. And I just began to unpack for her all of the flaws that she has and all of the challenges that she has. And I was just to dump it all on the plate. And I love her. But if she can't receive that love, if she can't somehow experience that love through what I'm doing, I've missed the point. My motivation can be love. My motivation can be whatever it is, but it needs to be delivered in love. When we look around at each other, we we probably don't have to look all that hard to see that we're not a perfect bunch. That it's not hard to look around at some of the other faces here. Maybe some of the people you don't know, it's a little easier to think, well, maybe they're perfect. But certainly the people that you do know, it's not that hard to go, oh, I know what's wrong with them. Oh, I, I know what's wrong. Oh, yeah, 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 I know what's wrong with them. We all have shortcomings and we all have flaws. And we are called to work to make each other better. 
but we can't look around and just see other people's flaws and shortcomings. We've been brought together by God and perhaps that thing that you look and see is a, as a flaw in someone else that you look and you say, I know what they need in life. Maybe that's the reason God brought you together. That you're supposed to work with them. You're supposed to help grow them and develop them. That's where it talk, we are to spur one another on towards love and good works. We're to sharpen each other. We have been brought together perhaps for these reasons. But it's so easy for me to burn a bridge in trying to, to help you be better if I can't somehow communicate to you in a way that makes you feel loved. The next verse that I want to look at is, is Romans chapter 12 verse 10. And it, whoa, it says, be devoted to one another in love. One of the things that can be both great and terrible in our culture today is that we are able to access so many options. If we don't like something, we are able to change it. If, if you go to a Starbucks and you get a coffee that you don't like, you can just walk outside and look around and you can probably see another Starbucks from there. It probably in the same parking lot or just one over. If you have something in your, and you think, I don't want this anymore, finding an alternative is not hard. If we don't like something, we are just able to change it. Want a different perspective on something? Want to hear voices that agree with you more? The internet has made it so very easy for us to seek out voices and opinions that we want to have possessions, relationships, whatever it may be, we can be so quick to look for something new, something better, something that we prefer. And inside our culture today, it's not hard to find options. They're, they're literally all around us at your fingertips at any point. In the middle of this message right now, if you're getting bored, you can start listening to another sermon in just seconds. You, you can pull out your phone and you can just search church and something will come up and somebody will be left. That we have the ability to do this. And often this can be seen as, as, as a failing in character or, or a weakness in a worldview. But I think it just has more to do with, with the world that we live in. It's hard to be committed, loyal, or willing to work with something that doesn't work when you have a world of alternatives presented to you. To, to, to make a choice to say, I'm going to be devoted and, and committed and willing to stick this out through good and bad and whatever happens is really difficult when all you have to do is, is look and you can find a hundred other options for it. Here today, there are people who voted conservative in the last election. And, and there are people who voted NDP. In this room, or in this space, there will be people who will vote conservative in an upcoming election. And there will be people who will vote liberal. And our love for each other needs to extend way beyond how we're going to vote. Here today, believe it or not, there might be Euler fans. There might be Canuck fans. And then there's the good people. There, there are Manchester United fans. And, and then there's Chelsea fans. And even though on the surface some of these things may seem unforgivable, 
we're called to be together, to be devoted to one another. Now, this is not a large gathering by any stretch of the imagination. As, as we gather together, and even, even with those watching online, there's not, wow, what a mega church. That's not who we are, and that's not what we are. But even with this amount of people, there are enough things here, there are enough people here, that there will be something or someone that you don't really like. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. There are other options out there, other opportunities out there, other places out there, but we're called to be devoted to one another and to be committed. And so what, that, what commitment means, what commitment looks like is not I'm all in until I'm not. Commitment is I'm all in. And when there's a problem, we'll figure it out and we'll get through it. Galatians chapter 6 will say, carry one another's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Part of being committed and realizing that we're in this thing together is, is to realize that we are in all of this together. That, that when we say we're in this together, it's not conditional. It means we are in all of this together. We're called to walk through life with each other. If our only connection to one another comes from sitting in the same building once a week, singing some songs and hearing some guy talk and then going home, we're missing out on the point of this. We're, we're not called to just sit near each other. We're called to, to be family and to be in each other's lives. We're called to love and support each other, to care for each other and to pray for each other. Not to just know, care, or catalog each other's burdens but to help carry each other's burdens. Now, as, as believers in Christ, as, as, as church-going people, sometimes with, with the, all the right intentions of the word, or right intentions of our heart, words can sort of change meaning a little bit. That, that it's a phrase that we know it's the right thing to say, but somehow it can lose its, its potency. It's sort of like, how, how are you? is a greeting. That, that you walk past somebody and you say, hey, how are you? But you don't break your stride. Because it's a greeting. It's just something we say. It's just something that we communicate to one another. Hey, how are you? But you're not expecting them to answer. And in fact, if, if they were to actually answer and to say, actually, I'm so glad you asked. I've been needing to talk to somebody. And they begin to unpack for you that their marriage is falling apart and that their kids are, are rebelling against God and they're losing their faith. And all of a sudden, you're, hey, man, I was just saying hi. Like, I, this is not what I wanted. Well, one of the things that can happen for us as believers is, is, I'll pray for you, can become that same kind of thing. That I hear about something going on in your life and I know that the right thing for me to say to you, if you've told me about something going on in your life, is for me to say to you, I'll pray for you. But really, it's, it's, it's a way of saying I care, but it's not necessarily committing to actually doing that. And it may not mean that I actually will do that. I'll pray for you. But, but it's kind of just a greeting. But we need to pray for each other. To not just be thinking of someone, but to be with someone. We, we are called to live our lives together. Scripture will say that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. That's Romans chapter 12, verse 15. So let's choose 
to not miss out on what it means to be a follower of Christ. This, what, what this gathering of people is supposed to be. Let's not miss out on what God has for you and what God has for others through you. God has called you to be in other people's lives. And not just peripherally and not just at a distance. But when they are mourning, you are called to step into their mourning with them. Not to say, hey, I'll pray for you. But to step in. And when they're celebrating, you're called to step into that celebration. And rejoice with them. The, the last verse that I want to make reference to this morning, it might take a little bit of, of uh, explaining or unpacking, and I do know what time it is, so, so I'm, I'm not going to do a lot of unpacking. But, but Paul will write in Ephesians this. He will write in Ephesians chapter 1, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul, Paul wrote this kind of sentiment to lots of the churches that he wrote to, how he was so thankful that, that he remembered them in his prayers and that he was so glad they were in his life. And there's just so much noble in these verses. But, but there's two things that I want to highlight for you out of these, out of these verses. For, for Paul to be thankful, or, or I guess, yeah, for, for Paul to be thankful for the people in these churches, first, he needed to know them. He needed to know who they were. For me to be thankful for you and to really mean that means that I need to know you. For, for me to be able to say, I am so thankful that Roy is in my life means that I need to actually know Roy. For it to mean anything. For, for me to, to, to mean that. To know their names, to know their situations, to know their problems, to know them. And if we are going to, to carry one another's burdens if we're going to be committed to one another, if we're going to, to do the things, if we're going to love one another, if we're going to be praying for each other, then we need to know each other. The other thing that comes out of this is even after knowing them, Paul was still thankful for them. That sometimes the more you can get to know somebody, the more you can become a little less thankful for them. The more you get to know somebody, the more you, you uncover the stuff that's been hidden, the more time you spend with them and, and you stop sort of meeting the person they want you to meet and you start to meet the real them. Sometimes the more we know somebody, the easier it is to be like, you know, I'm not so thankful for you anymore. But Paul will say, I am so thankful for you. And that's the heart that we need to have for each other. I am so thankful for all of my brothers and sisters in Christ. No matter how they rub me, I love them. Peter will write this in 1 Peter chapter 4. He will write, above all, love each other deeply. Above everything else, above everything else in your life, about everything else that you're committed to, about everything else that you've got a responsibility to. Above all, love each other deeply. Because the deeper your love, the more the other person can do something and your love will overcome it. That's what he means when he says love will cover a multitude of sins. Is my love for you can hopefully run deeper than whatever it is that you can do to offend me. Above all, love. I get lost inside this wonder. 
Thanks again for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Cornerstone Church, there are a couple places you can go. First is our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com, and select the Airdrie campus. And some of the best ways to connect with us is through our social media channels. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstoneairdrie. Follow us on Twitter at csairdrie. And on Instagram at cornerstoneairdrie. If you'd like to connect with the pastoral team at Cornerstone, you can do that again through our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com. Click on the Airdrie campus, then click on the About Us on the main menu, and then one last click on Our Campus Pastors. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and get new messages delivered directly to you. We are so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Cornerstone Church Airdrie, we are a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. We follow Jesus together. As family we go. My heart responds with holy, holy. Oh, you never cease to amaze me. And it's only just the start. Oh, it's only just the start.
to your 